0: Welcome to the Redemption Tempe Podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. On today's episode, Benjamin Jensen, pastor of
1: Communities, will be leading a discussion on hard questions in Leviticus with ministry intern AC and pastoral resident John Crawford. Just listen in.
0: Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Good to hear from you, or good, hopefully it would be good to hear from us uh, this is the Redemption Tempe Podcast. My name is Benjamin. Uh, I'm not your normal host or moderator. Uh, my voice is not nearly as smooth as our wonderful Warren Williams, who is our, our regular moderator, and I'm much better at it. But because you're, you're listening to this, and, and uh, I assume you, you're probably a Christian, you got to have some grace for this then, so it's required of you. I am um, here today with AC and John. And uh, we are excited to to get into this. This podcast is hard questions from the book of Leviticus, and we're going to jump right into it. Uh, but first, just a quick introduction. So, AC, we've known you, we've seen you. You are uh, you're a, you're an all star on the podcast here. Um, just want to give yourself a quick introduction anyway for those who are newcomers to the podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm one of the janitors here at the church, as well as one of the ministry interns. Uh, so just helping out every way I can with the true story project. All right. And, uh, and
0: been around the block a little bit with, with our podcast, you've heard his voice before. He's also uh, a bit of an all-star with scripture reading, uh, our best scripture reader or one of them at least. Uh, but, uh, also excited to have you, John Crawford here. You're a rookie to the podcast. This is your first one. And I know you're nervous. Now you're really sweaty and everything like that. And you're you're worried you're going to say something wrong. But just know we love you. And uh, you get one shot, and then you're out. That's it. It's one spray, and you're out. So just do your best. And we're, since we're talking about the law, we're just going to make it really strict. So it's going to be maybe maybe punishable by, by death. Well, but we'll see. Probably by death seems like yeah. the most apparent here. So and if if ye shall shall mistake, commit a heresy on the podcast, ye shall be stoned to death
1: by the people. Um, with that speaking of stone you know i think that uh john <laughs> is our snoop snoop Dog. and we talked about benjamin mm. being uh the producer behind the scenes doing a lot of the production for the church um, and his protege <laughs> one of the guys working with him is john and like snoop john has a very distinctive voice mm. snoop went on to become uh, one of the most popular and well-known figures from Death Row Records and hip-hop itself. And I think when all this is said and done, that John is going to be one of the fan favorites from the podcast as well. Yeah.
2: Wow. Guys, that uh, that's a lot to live up to. i got to fill Snoop Dogg shoes. I'm not sure if I can do that.
0: Well, you'll do your best, and uh, like I said, one strike and you're gone. So, uh, John, good to have you. Why don't you give us a quick snapshot of who you are?
2: Yeah, my name is John Crawford, uh, as these guys have said, aka Snoop Dogg. Um, I am a pastoral resident here at Redemption Tempe, um, primarily working with the communities team, and uh, I'm on the True Story Project team as well. So, um, excited to be here with you guys to answer some hard questions for Leviticus and Numbers. All right, good deal. Um, guys,
0: so we got our, our kind of our Death Row Records crew. And that, that metaphor back of a who's who, that's, that's a good thing to have. Why don't we jump into talking about Leviticus? And uh, really, this is the Redemption Tempe podcast. We believe that all life's all for Jesus. Really, uh, often focusing on the True Story Project, and sometimes it's called the True Story Podcast. True Story Project, if you're not familiar, is uh, Redemption Tempe's plan and program as we read the whole Bible as a whole church for the whole. Your, we believe that the Bible is God's word and that's the true story of the whole world. And um, we are just loving reading through it as a whole church together. Um, it's a lot to read and it's, it's really good. And so uh, not only is it a lot of content to read, there's some really tricky things. We're going to ask some hard questions from this and do our best here to, to wrestle with them. Um, well, here's number one. Give me a, give me a summary guys of Leviticus if you had to say it in one sentence to somebody you had just a few seconds you know on the elevator someone says oh what's the book of Leviticus about how do you guys say that
2: hmm. Yeah Leviticus is uh, obviously part of the law and really the purpose of the law and what God's doing why he's given his people the law is to uh, create a distinct people who show the world what he is like. And so ultimately what's going on in Leviticus is God's giving people a law to make them distinctly different um, from the surrounding nations to show them what he's like. Great. A.C., do you want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I I think, and then Leviticus specifically, a major theme running through it is God being holy Mm. and what it looks like for his people to dwell with him or him to dwell with his people and for them to be a holy people yeah Yeah. that's right
0: good um i would say something if i if i could give that a shot too is that the shape of god's world is love of neighbor and love of god Hmm. and so what what everything is shaped by and colored by is that we are to love others uh, because god loves us and that's the good world he's making so we've got that Uh, maybe we want to anything else you want to add about the purpose of the law in general by the way, I should mention, you guys are teaching a class right now. Yeah. Uh, we've had one session already, uh, and you're going to—you have two more classes coming up on how to read the law, correct? Yeah, So yeah. you guys—your your heads are really in the thick of this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, the purpose of Leviticus and the purpose of the law, as you mentioned. Anything else you want to add to that question?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a framework for this, too, to understand the law— is when was the law given? We've we've got to put ourselves in the mindset of an ancient Israelite as we read the law. And really, the law was given after God acted in redemption and freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And so really, we're we're dealing with a book that is primarily addressed to the nation of Israel that are newly freed slaves um, from oppression for over 400 years. And so these people don't really know how to live in the presence of God. They've been massively influenced by um, pagan worship practices, the Egyptian culture, um, which was uh, obviously worshiping many gods. And now, really what the law answers is, the law answers this question of how now we shall live. And so, really, it lays out this um, this way of living for, the na- for God's people, Israel, that they can live in his midst um, and also be a contrast community living in the midst of the surrounding uh, nations in the ancient Near East. And so really God is creating a contrast community. Ultimately, the law is missional and God has elected Israel uh, to bless them, but he's elected them to be the vehicle of blessing for all nations, meaning this particular election of Israel has the end goal of being universal blessing. And so God is wanting to bless the world through Israel. Yeah. Amen. That's well said. That's a that's a beautiful thing.
0: Um uh, let me let me kind of just back up for one second here uh, on As we talk about the law, we've come from, as you just mentioned, the land of Egypt out of the book of Exodus and the story of the Exodus. But before that even, we came from the book of Genesis and creation Mm -hmm. and fall and God creating a people for himself through saving people through Noah first and then through Abraham and his lineage and his family, uh, the entirety of God's people to be as blessed to be a blessing, to be that vehicle of blessing. Um, As we've now been through almost three books leviticus being the third and we're we're getting through that in our reading plan into numbers um any impressions any big picture things you guys that just been struck by how god revealed about himself or about humanity or about you personally or anything like that
1: yeah i know that here at redemption tempe we're always saying we're always repeating that all of life is all for jesus And that's not just some cool little saying that we say to try to make ourselves distinct or to be a hipster church. Uh, But I think that, or what I'm seeing and what God is showing to me, as I'm reading through the True Story Project, what it means to know God and follow God really encompasses all of life. Even when you're looking at Leviticus and Numbers, look at the laws, they encompass all of life. Mm,
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Yeah, I think for me, uh, something that... God's really uh, just kind of revealing to me um, throughout the story and what I love about reading the Bible as the true story is we see that in the garden, God is dwelling with his people. He creates Adam and Eve and he's dwelling in their midst and they have this close, intimate fellowship and relationship with God. And then when sin enters into the story, into the world, um, that relationship is fractured. But God is on this constant pursuit and he's committed to pursuing his people in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of them turning and worshiping other gods. But now we see in Leviticus that once again, God is committed to dwelling amongst his people and he's made a way for them to enter into his presence uh, throughout all these sacrifices that we see, but he's dwelling in their midst again. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, If I was going to throw an answer to that, just general observations,
0: reflections on the whole True Story project... Uh, I would say the encouragement of seeing very broken people in a very broken world being used by God, Hmm. Uh, seeing his grace overcome sin. There's that old hymn that God's grace overcomes our sins greater than all our sin. And we just see that so clearly, so truly, even not just of the wicked people like a pharaoh who gets raised up and used by God in his stubbornness and his hardness of heart, but the very saints and leaders and heroes, if you will, of these stories, yet being uh, flawed, being faulted, being cowardly or wicked or deceptive, and God chooses to, you know, to work through them and their purposes. The reason that being encouraging is not, not just because uh, I like to say, oh, those people were bad and I'm not as bad, but rather I am as bad, and yet God, even in our brokenness and in our very broken world, his grace overcomes, and he's got a purpose that he's working through. Um, yeah, so encouraging, isn't it? Just to be in these books and to be reading this together, I'm, I'm loving it. To be reading this as a community. All right, so let's, let's, let's dive back into Leviticus specifically. First question was just about the purpose of Leviticus and really the purpose of the law to create a distinct people who show the world what God is like. Question two: How do I know which laws still apply today? Really big question. A lot of people asking this. A lot of funky questions in Leviticus. So, how do we know which laws still apply today?
1: Well, the tattoo law definitely does not apply. Right. So of course likewise, not. Of course. Benjamin, not. the only one on the podcast right now. Yeah. Right. Or the only holy one on the podcast. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. That's true. Sure. John I right. unclean.
1: Right. Right. Um, no, I think the the thing that that is the best way to approach the law is to <laughs> first read it and then. Like we talk about in Squid, when you, wanna, when you get to the U, you want to imagine uh, what it was like or how the people would have understood it, and to so really put yourself in their shoes. And I think the first step to really seeing how the laws still apply hmm. is to imagine what it looked like for them to obey the law within their culture, and right. then to ask some questions to try to understand what was really the goal behind that law, what, what, what was really going on. For example, you know, some questions to ask yourself. What kind of situation was this law trying to promote or prevent? Um, whose interests was this law aiming to protect? Who would have benefited from the law and why? Uh, whose power was this law trying to restrict? Uh, and what vision of society was God trying to promote? And just give you a little quick example to make that concrete. Um, when I think of the, the Jubilee laws, which every 50 years... Um, if you sold land, the land was to return back to the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine what that would have looked like. Let's say that you're a young entrepreneur and you're buying up all these lands and you're making really good financial decisions and you're, you're getting wealthy. And Leviticus would have allowed for that, would have allowed for that, those types of endeavors uh, to be good, to do work. But let's say that you make some really poor financial decisions. You, loot, you have to sell your land. And now you're essentially in poverty. When the 50 years is up, your family gets the land back. So in other words, your kids aren't going to be stuck in poverty. And so this this law really gets at erasing the cycles of poverty, endless cycles of poverty that continue for generations and generations. Mm -hmm. So when you read this law, Mm -hmm. instead of just thinking, wow, this is some old archaic law that has nothing to do with me anymore – we don't even do jubilees and just skipping over to the next chapter. Think about how it would have existed in that society and then what's really the goal behind that law and what would that look like today? Hmm. That's great. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, that's helpful. And I think that that really, um, you know, the questions that you, that you just gave us, AC, are really helpful to really get at what's God's intention for all cultures uh, with this law? Because we believe that obviously the Bible is the word of God. And we can't just completely do away with the law because it's in the Old Testament. It's still in His Word. It's for us today, mm-hmm. um, whether that uh, whether it's a direct application or whether it's implications like how AC just kind of walked us through. But I think that's very helpful.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think another thing too. I know, like if you look in your study Bibles, oftentimes you'll hear this, you read this, where the people will say, when it comes to the law, there's three types of laws. There's ceremonial law, like cleanness and uncleanness, washing, things like that. There's civil law, like how you're supposed to build your homes, uh, legal stuff. And then there's moral laws, you know, like love your neighbor and don't rob and things like that. And what they'll say is that the ceremonial and the civil laws are kind of fulfilled in Jesus. And so they kind of pass off the scene and don't apply, but the moral laws apply. But I think that's really problematic because what's going to happen is, you're gonna read through a bunch of laws considered ceremonial or civil, and you're just gonna skip right past them and think, these don't apply to me at all. But really, behind even those laws is a huge moral dimension. When, when the scribe asked Jesus, what is the greatest law? What did Jesus say? Did he say, well, some of those laws still apply, some don't? No, he said, all of the law is summed up in love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus saying that, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus 19. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. yeah. Right. And I think I think a, a great example of this too is that if we just do away with ceremonial or, and civil laws and we just say, well, moral is all that is binding on us today, um, we really ignore a lot of important moral principles and features of the ceremonial and civil law. And so for an example, because really... All of the laws have some sort of moral dimension to them. And so one example of a civil law that uh, we shouldn't just do away with completely, um, there are three different laws pertaining to slavery and how slaves ought to be treated. um, Two in Exodus 21 and then one law in Deuteronomy 23. And there are moral principles held up in these laws, and if we just say civil law doesn't matter and it's fulfilled in Jesus with ceremonial law and we just do away with them, then we miss the moral principles and we miss the implications for our lives today and in our culture. Yeah, that's great. It's very helpful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap, if that's
0: right, some of those things, um, Think looking at really the the Cultural functions of the law in those times versus the greater objectives that that we can that transcend some of the culture. Is that correct? Would you say that's that's a proper way to say that? Yeah. Secondly, the categories which which have been thrown around before, if if anyone's read a little bit on this, even even study Bibles, which uh, can be helpful—moral, ceremonial, civil—but on the whole, it may be too categorical, right? Yeah. In the sense that civil laws uh, are just. Um, non-moral or something they're not really bound to hmm. anything bigger like uh, our hearts and our spirits and love they're just something else but frankly as you brought up earlier ac all of life is all for jesus therefore we engage the world as a people who believe that god has created and sustains a world and has shown his goodness to to us and to the world through his son jesus and by the power of the spirit in that the entirety of the world is under his lordship uh, the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof, that's Psalm mm. 24 and yeah. so that is very much involved with like our the laws of our land and the laws of other lands civil if you will, are important and ceremonial things we do in our lives uh, religious practices they're important, they're not just unessential, non-important, non-spiritual and of course then, moral things are important, which is probably one we as a Modern American evangelicals focus on a lot mm-hmm. is just morality, right? Morality and ethics, and we have a very uh, specific way we may see that or uh, may think something violates that or not. So this may be unhelpful. Just try to get too categorical in some of that, and really to say the big goal of this is love—love love for God and in that love, love for our, our neighbors. Mm. Um, let me let me push you a little further, um, but in in a, in a sort of a, a different way, a counterintuitive way. A lot of folks aren't uh, interested, or really just not able to to dive into technical doctrinal terms and theological terms. They really just asking simple questions. So maybe picture a man or woman think of think of some dude who loves Jesus, and he's reading the True Story Project right now with us, and he he believes that it's God's word that he's reading. He's he's reading through Leviticus as we're asking people to do. He's being faithful, mm-hmm. and he's saying. This is kind of crazy. This is this is weird. There's some odd stuff in here. There's odd stuff about cutting yourself and like selling your daughter into prostitution. And, and uh, I mean, I have friends with tattoos, and it says don't get tattoos. And then it also says uh, love your neighbors yourself. And so it seems like some of these are really big important things, and other things are very confusing. Uh, a simple with a simple answer to him, really. Uh, how, how would you guys answer? Just do I follow Leviticus, or do I ignore it, or what do I do with this?
1: Yeah, I think what you want to do is you want to understand the purpose of it. And so just have this in the back of your mind as you're reading Leviticus that this isn't just some list of rules but that this is to challenge the idols of the surrounding cultures. In other words, Mm. the people who are living in the land before Israel worship other gods And their societies are all jacked up. And so God is trying to make his society, his people, Hmm. shine and show the love of God through the way that they live. Hmm. And so when you're reading through those, a lot of those laws aren't going to make sense initially. Because you may not have some of the background knowledge of the, the false worship practices that the surrounding people had. But just know that in the back of your mind, this is... You know, like tattoos and, and mixing seed and mixing fabrics in the clothes. Like, yeah. just know in the back of your mind, this probably has something to do with worshiping false gods. Hmm. You know, and so ask yourself, one, how do these laws show how the people were to love God and love love each other? And if that's not immediately clear, which it won't be without some of the background knowledge, mm-hmm. just kind of know that God is challenging the way that the people in the land would worship false gods and then you can just think through what would it look like in that area of life for me to live for Jesus faithfully you know if it's talking about building codes if it's talking about economic rules and I don't know what the background is well what would it look like for me to live faithfully for Jesus economically and, and, and the way that I build homes or whatever
2: yeah that's helpful it is that's
1: that's very good. Uh, I'm going to give a quick example. I think this is a really important piece
0: from Leviticus 19:19. 19, 19. It says, "You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material." So a guy reads that right And and's like, uh, I'm throwing away all my my yeah. poly, my poly blend shirts. Just getting rid of this stuff. Poly Get rid of them, man. It's okay. Sinful." And I I saw this gardener who had both peas and carrots in their garden, and I'm going to go give them what for. Yeah, that's a sin. That's wrong, right? But no, rather to say to frame it as a good God who who shows his love and helps us create a good world or is creating a good world, even through sinful people and brokenness and uh, these, these predominant lenses that we look everything through, which is love God, to worship God, love him with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And from there to to love our neighbors. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, here's here's a specific question: uh, What's the deal with all the ritual laws about cleanness
2: and uncleanness? Yeah, that's man, Benjamin. That's a good question. There's all sorts of crazy laws when we're reading it from our 21st century Western minds. We're reading this and we're like, "What is going on?" These really obscure laws. And what we're what these laws are getting at is purification, right? And so why is purification important? That's, that's really the question here. Um, and really, it's because of God's holiness. And so, um, we said at the beginning of the podcast, AC mentioned that one of the major themes of Leviticus and the, and the purpose of this book is to really show God's people how they can live in the midst of this holy God. And a lot of times, I don't think we have a, a good understanding of what holiness is exactly. And um, so, I want to give just a simple definition Holiness means to be set apart or separate or also to be utterly unique. And so God is holy uh, because he is the source and author of all life. He's the creator and sustainer, which we know. And so he is holy and set apart from everything else in creation. But not only is God holy, but since he is so good, the space around him is holy as well. And this is where purification becomes so important. Because if Israel, if God's people, um, in this book of Leviticus, are going to be able to approach this holy God, not only is he holy, but the space around him is holy. There has to be a way in order for them to approach God. And so God gives these laws and these commands. He lays out, essentially, these steps where they can become clean. And so there's a lot of talk of clean and unclean, common or uncommon. And I think what's also helpful to understand is If something is unclean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's sinful. Because it actually talks about how sexual intercourse makes someone unclean. But as we know, sex is a good gift of God when it's enjoyed between a husband and wife in uh, covenant marriage. And so it doesn't necessarily mean if something is unclean that it's sinful. But in order to come into God's holy presence, one has to be purified. And so... um, so I think that that, that that's uh, a huge thing that we've got that we've got to talk about is holiness. I don't know if you want to throw in anything on that as well, guys. Can we
0: can we cast that then from old covenant in Leviticus into th- is that that true today to come into God's presence, a, a holy, righteous God? We that we have to be purified as well, and and if so, then how does that work in the new covenant?
1: I think what's yeah. really cool is that when you look at the Levitical law, if you were clean and you touched something unclean, it made you unclean. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that when you see Jesus come on the scene, you know, he, he touches a woman with the flow of blood. He touches a leopard. Right. And instead of him becoming unclean, he makes them clean. Yeah. And so what you see is through Jesus, we are made clean. We are made holy. And like how it talks about in Hebrews, Therefore, we can boldly approach his throne with confidence, mm. knowing that he has made the way, he has made us clean inside of God. That's right. So it's
0: a similar timeless truth of God's holiness and, and purity of approaching him, yet Jesus Christ, who is our once-for-all sacrifice, our yeah. great high priest who has made us all pure, those who are in him, those who trust in him and are united to Jesus in that. It's a beautiful thing to see that continuity for the whole Bible and really the whole story. Um, all right I want to keep moving us along next question why are there so many animal
2: sacrifices and isn't that
0: animal cruelty
2: yeah animal sacrifices are, are a huge thing as we know this is this is a bloody book and so for a lot of people that you know it, it seems like there is animal cruelty going on because animals are being animals are being sacrificed um, but I think the way that we need to view this and read this sometimes it takes a, a paradigm shift is that really what's going on is God's grace is at work here because the reason why sacrifice is even needed and why it's necessary is because of atonement. And so, essentially, uh, what atonement is, atonement's a way to deal with the problems of holiness and impurity. Um, and it's the system that God designed that dealt with sin um, without violating God's holiness. So, essentially, God. In acts, And he gives this system of atonement in order to deal with sin without violating his holiness. And so God in his grace provides a way for sinful people to, once again, come into his holy presence. And so the problem is uh, the sin that separates us, the evil that separates us from God, lives in each side of every human because of the fall. And so really, if God wanted to get rid of evil, he would actually have to get rid of all of humanity but because we are his image bearers, because he loves us, instead of getting rid of all of us because we're sinners and we have evil inside of us, he provides a substitute in the form of an animal. And so really it's God's grace at work. He doesn't take us out because of our sin. Instead, he provides another way for our sins to be atoned for through the blood of an animal. And so we see in Leviticus 17 that blood is actually required for atonement and sin produces death. And all throughout life, still true today, from the beginning of the story um, to the end, sin will always produce death. And so when there is sin, something has to die. And if it's not you and I, if it's not the uh, the nation of Israel, if it's not God's people, it has to be an animal. Mm-hmm. Again, or casting it
0: into today's light, um, that's what Jesus did. Yeah, Sin produced death in Jesus. He He was killed for sin, for our sin. Of course, it wasn't his own, and he took it on. He Absolutely. Was the, the the sin bearer, the wrath bearer. Um, and then, of course, that's not the end of the story in that. In the yeah. resurrection, he conquers sin, the inauguration of, of that conquering of sin. <clears throat> so, um, a little bit related to that um, is within sort of an animal cruelty and death having to happen, yeah. um, sin bringing death uh there are many laws in leviticus as we read through that seem incredibly harsh to us 21st century readers um especially punishable by death like why are so many laws punishable punishable by death um it it feels a little bit like we are in a death row (laughs) album (laughs) Uh, like everybody's just getting getting shot down man there's a lot of stuff going on here It, it is bloody and and even not just towards animals, but to humans. So what's up with that? Punished by like the death penalty all over the place.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one good question as you're reading through the law is to ask yourself: if there's a penalty attached to this law, what does that show about how serious hmm. this this was to be taken? Yeah. yeah. And seeing all these death penalties, it really shows the seriousness of God's law and what's at stake. The stakes are high. I mean, remember again. Remember the context. Remember the story. God created the world, said it was good, created humanity with the, the, the ability to draw potential out of the rest of creation, and said it was very good. Mm. Sin enters through the fall, and sin affects all of creation, the entire world. And you see that we talked about that in the Genesis podcast, how the, the first 11 chapters show the complete... Devastation of the created world God calls Abraham And says through you I'm going to bring back blessing To the whole world Mm -hmm. And then we see that plan to begin to unfold As he calls Israel So Israel's task Is not to be blessed just for the sake of Like being God's favorite kids It's so that they can uh, Transmit blessing to the rest of the world Now how are they going to do that How are they going to transmit blessing How are they going to be that conduit of blessing To the rest of the world by obeying the law, yeah. the law shows what it takes to bring God's blessing into the world. So, if Israel starts to disobey the law, that erases their reason for existence, and the stakes are huge. The entire world is at stake. Let me give this little illustration. Um, I know we're, we're big into like superhero movies at this time and age. Imagine if Superman was a real person, right? And kryptonite was real. Obviously, kryptonite kills Superman. Or at the very least, it destroys his ability to be Superman. It destroys the very thing that makes him Superman. Um, Imagine that young Clark Kent, young Superman, grow up on this farm. And for some weird reason, I know it's a poor analogy, like down the street, there's a farm full of kryptonite. I don't know why people would be growing kryptonite. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine his parents say. Well, that proposition passed that let them grow kryptonite on the farm. And <laughs> yeah. so that's yeah. what, what happened. They, yeah. they voted it in. <laughs> I voted at it. At first, kryptonite was medicinal, and, and then they said, use for recreational purposes. Right, per- right. Per- right. Per- right. Per- absolutely. So young Clark Kent, impressionable young boy, is like, this recreational kryptonite is down the street. But no, there's, there's this farm full of kryptonite, and his parents say, do not go near the farm or we will ground you. No, imagine if they say, do not go near that farm, or we will put you to death. That seems kind of a stark thing for parents to say to their child. But imagine what's at stake. The irony is that if Superman goes to that farm, he's essentially putting himself to death. His parents won't even have to do that to him. So by Mm -hmm. placing that level of seriousness on the warning, the hope is that he will never go down that road, and that he will live. Same thing with Israel. By disobeying the law... They're essentially killing themselves, hmm. erasing their reason for existence, and the whole world loses out on God's blessing.
2: Man, that's good. That's yeah. a
0: helpful, helpful illustration. I want to add into that uh, for for a slightly different angle in the same analogy, if we can live with that one. So Clark Kent, in his house, um, his parents are saying, do not go down there, it will kill you to go to that kryptonite farm. And he says, uh, and, and he says, Oh, I didn't know you meant I couldn't go out the front door to not go out there. Which sounds stupid, but that's what he says. And they say, oh, okay, well, n- do not go out the front door to go to that kryptonite farm. And in fact, we're going to lock the door so you can't get out. That's how serious it is. And then he still gets out, and he's trying to get get to the kryptonite farm, and he, and he goes out the window. And they say, what are you doing? He says, well, you didn't tell me not to go out the window. You just said don't go out the door. So I went out the window. I'm like, no, no. Okay, we're putting a, a fence around the house. Um, that says you cannot go here go, go past this, do not Because of Kryptonite will kill you and, and Clark says, oh, okay, okay I get it, yeah, the fence, like, don't go there I think I get it So then he still leaves the doors He goes over the fence, he climbs over that fence And they're like, what are you doing? This is going to kill you, this is bad for you And he says, well, I didn't know you meant at night I couldn't go over the fence I went out the window and climbed over the fence. I thought you just meant during the day. And they say, no, anytime, day or night, you can never go over the fence, right? You get where I'm going. Like they keep adding, adding things Mm -hmm. into this. And Clark Kent still, as a fairly dull, uh, dim-witted Superman, um, (laughs) keeps doing these things and saying, oh, I didn't know that's what you meant, right? It's stupid. Mm -hmm. It seems really silly. But in reality, it feels like that's what's happening in Leviticus. We started with um, a covenant with god's people with his saints like abraham and then we move into moses leading the people out and getting the ten commandments or the ten words but we have ten that seems like well that's significant and that really covers a lot but now we keep expanding into hundreds you're over 600 total yeah. you guys just speak to that quickly about about that how, how why, why do we have more laws hmm. in leviticus than we
2: did in exodus and the ten commandments yeah, one, one of the things is that, uh, once again, the, the purpose of the law was to create this distinct community that would be a light to the surrounding nations, to show them what God is like, so that if Israel kept the law, the surrounding nations would, would see what God is like, and they would want in, and they'd want to be a part of it. And so the law in itself was supposed to make God's people different. Well, what was going on is, Israel, with the few laws, they sinned and God gave them more laws, and they sinned again, and God gave them more laws, and they sinned again. And what was going on is, because they were, once again, a, a people group that had been freed from over 400 years of slavery and been influenced by pagan worship and different practices, now they're living in the land surrounded by other pagan nations. And so what was going on is they were participating in some of these false pagan worship practices, some things like child sacrifice, some uh, sexual sin, various things like that, um, that were going on in other cultures and contexts. And so God is saying, no, don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like the Babylonians. Don't be like all of these other ancient Near Eastern groups. So when the Israelites would sin and fall into some of these false worship practices, God would give them more laws Mm -hmm. to make them distinct. Once again, don't be like the Canaanites. And you can see all throughout Leviticus, God reminds them and calls them to be holy because he's holy. Calls them not to be like the surrounding nations that are doing these things many, many times uh, throughout, the, throughout yeah. the book. And, and I want to throw in there uh, that
0: the distinction of the people and the heart of God in giving the law is yeah. because he loves us. Yeah. Right? Just like Clark Kent's parents love him and know better than he knows and say, don't do that because it will hurt you, God loves us. Yeah, This is, this is out of his heart for the love of his people, uh, his everlasting love and his faithfulness to us. And so it is actually a beautiful story in that way, a beautiful picture. Um, moving to, to another question. Why is there a long list of laws in Leviticus
2: regarding sexuality? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of sexual... Uh, sexual laws, sexual practices, um, and, you know, I, I just just hit on it uh, a second ago, but that really what's going on with these laws is um, the surrounding cultures. Once again, we have to read the law, try to get into the mindset of an ancient Israelite, and so what's going on in the ancient Near East, in Babylon, in, with the Canaanites, with the various cultures that are surrounding the, the Israelites Um, there are all kinds of cultic uh, sexual practices. Um, There's cult prostitutes. There's child sacrifices. People are sleeping with um, various people in order to worship uh, pagan gods and false gods. And so what God is doing, once again, in the backdrop of that culture, he's giving this law and telling his people, do not be like that. Mm -hmm. God is essentially bringing his creational intent to bear on a people where if Israel keeps this law, there will be shalom. And there will be how God intended things to be back in the garden will actually manifest if Israel keeps these laws. And so a lot of these sexual laws can be really weird for us to understand, like don't sleep with your daughter-in-law, don't sacrifice your child, don't sleep with the cult prostitute, you know, various things like this. But the reason why they were given is because these were the types of things that were going on in the surrounding cultures. Yeah, that's good. AC, you want to throw in anything?
1: Yeah, and again, when you're reading the law, like John was just talking about, you want to to know, or at least try to imagine and picture how that law functioned as a contrast to the surrounding cultures. Mm. And then you take a step back and ask, what's the overall objective that applies to all cultures? Mm. And think about this. I mean... There's a long list of, of, of sexuality, right? Sexual laws there. But think about this. In, in Genesis, when God creates or gives that ideal, one man and one woman, um, no divorce, but together forever. Think about if every single person who had sex only did so in the confines of marriage. Yeah. And never divorced and never cheated. You would not have child abuse uh, sexually. You wouldn't have rape. You wouldn't have human trafficking. Yeah. You wouldn't have the pain. a lot of the pain of divorce from adultery. You would have so far fewer broken families. You would have what the Bible paints as shalom. Yeah. And you would live in a society where you're truly and fully human. Mm. Right. Man, Man that's yeah. good. That is. It's a, actually
2: hard to imagine even because yeah. it, it's so contrary to the world that we live in. Yeah. But to picture it. To picture that—that that is the type of society that God was actually His heart. He wanted to create that. If Israel had kept the law, that's—that's that's what would have happened. But obviously, we know they didn't. And
0: it's—it's it's again shaping to us as God's people, as the church today too, that not only are we—we we would most say, um, sex is dangerous. Even sex is bad, really. If you read between the lines, just stay away from it. Um, it, 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 that's what that's kind of this big thing where the world is saying sex is good no matter what, go out and have uh, as much sex with anybody you want to that's kind of what the message of the world is but actually here this message of God's love and his wisdom is um, it's not one it's not just go out and do whatever you want sexually and it's not sort of despise sexuality and sex Mm -hmm. it's saying no this is a good gift in the right confines that brings about a shalom that brings about a people who are loving and caring and generous and and have intimacy with one another and all of the proper functions it's actually a really wonderful picture and a beautiful picture of that um last question uh why do some of the laws seem to imply gender inequality so we're hitting we're hitting some good controversial mm-hmm. issues here. We got yeah. we got animal sacrifice, pun, we got the death penalty, we got uh, sexuality, and now gender inequality. And here, when you read this, it feels like uh, a little bit like there's some inequality.
1: Well, obviously, women are more holy than, than dudes. Yeah, I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, my experience. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> no. in AC's experience. <laughs> no, I mean this this goes to the importance of reading the Bible as a story. Because the tendency in our culture is to proof text and to read like a verse divorced from the complete surrounding context of the story. Give you an example. There's a verse that says, some trust in chariots and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. If you're, if you're applying this proof texting mentality, you could look at that verse and say, well, then I shouldn't drive cars. That's not spiritual. I should walk. You know. So when you look at verses that seem to imply gender inequality, you need to... You need to um, derive your view of gender through the lens of scripture and how what does the biblical story look at look at with gender you see that in the garden they're created male and female and they're both created in the image of god so there's that equality there um you see that in the fall is when women become objectified you see polygamy You see see prostitution, Uh, you see all those things. And Genesis very, very, and Judges as well, paints those things as devastating. Um, And then when you look at Jesus coming on the scene, I mean... Who were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus? Women, and that was so countercultural because in that day in the Roman times, yeah. their word was not counted as valuable in court. Jesus is flipping that and saying, "No, women are valuable, and they're going to be the first witnesses to my resurrection." And then you look in the in the kingdom, uh, the picture of Revelation is all of humanity thriving and flourishing with God, and there's no there's no uh, second class citizen. For, for women so when you look at the Bible as a whole obviously there is no gender inequality both mm-hmm. male and female are created in the image of God and I think that um, the fall is where the gender inequality has come into play historically and has even infected God's people and I think the the law itself even pushes back against that yeah
2: yeah and so uh really we want to look at a passage here in Numbers 5. It's verses 11 through 31. And uh, it should say in your Bible, a test for adultery, but the reason why we want to take a look at this really quickly is because a lot of the new atheist movement and people that have problems, even a lot of uh, the the feminist movement that is uh, uh, anti-Bible really use this passage as something to say that God's misogynist, that there's this real, uh, essentially it's gender inequality, and Really what's going on, I think what we've got to do is once again look at the surrounding context and women were being objectified, women were being dehumanized, women did not have the same value and dignity and worth in the other ancient Near Eastern cultures and so you've got cult prostitutes, meaning that women are being sex trafficked essentially and they're being forced to have sex with multiple people for the sake of their pagan gods. We've got other things like in other cultures where women didn't have a voice and so Numbers 5 comes into the picture in the backdrop of that society, and it says a test for adultery. And essentially what's going on is if a husband suspects that his wife has cheated on him, or even if he's jealous, what he what he can do is he can take his wife to the local priest, and she agrees to, to essentially take this test, and it's the bitter water test. And essentially she drinks this water, um, and what will happen is when she drinks the water, God will be the ultimate judge to enact perfect justice. And when she drinks the water if she's guilty of adultery, a bitter curse will come over her body and she'll become barren and she'll be able to, she will be unable to have children. But if she's innocent, nothing will happen and she'll be proclaimed innocent. Now, really obscure law, but in the backdrop of that society, what was going on in ancient Near Eastern cultures like Babylon is if a husband was jealous of his wife, he would simply throw her into a river. Well, the problem with that is, in that time and place, women didn't know how to swim, there weren't swimming lessons, and so naturally, thousands and thousands of innocent women who didn't commit adultery, but their husband was jealous, they drowned, and they were killed, and they were innocent. And so, in the backdrop of that society, God gives this law in numbers and says, this is the kind of community that I'm creating, a community where perfect justice will be carried out, because I'm the just judge, and... I'm protecting against a bias test. And so essentially what what happens here where the gender equality actually happens is that God dignifies women and he gives women who have no voice in that time and place, he gives them a voice to be heard. They can't just be thrown into a river to drown. As if they're disposable objects. No, not at all. God says, these are my image bearers whom I love. And in the context of a culture that says women don't have a voice and they're marginalized, women are my image bearers. They need to be treated with dignity and I will give them a voice. And so you can start to see some of the beauty that's hidden in this law if we understand the ancient culture and context of the law.
1: Right. Yeah. That's and, helpful. And you look at like the laws that look out for widows. And I'm not an expert on ancient Near Eastern culture. I could be wrong. But I think that you didn't see those types of laws in any of the surrounding nations. That they didn't care for widows like that. I mean, think of the book of Ruth when uh, Naomi and Ruth were there and, and Orpah and, and all the guys died. And so you had Naomi and Ruth as widows. Where did they go? They went yeah. to Israel. yeah, And yeah. they went to Bethlehem where they were keeping these laws that provided for widows and you see how Ruth and Naomi were able to thrive because of these laws that Mm. that looked out for the vulnerable women yeah Yeah,
2: and I think just one other thing on this on this number five and women having dignity and value once again creating God is creating a contrast community that should be attractive to be a light to the nations and let's just go back to that picture of numbers five let's just say a woman an Israelite woman living under God's perfect justice Let's say that her husband was jealous and she was innocent of adultery and she took the bitter water test through the local priest and God, being the just judge, acquitted her and said she's guilty. She needs to be declared guilty. Sorry, she's innocent. She needs to be declared as innocent and no guilt will come upon her, meaning that that'll change the way that she's perceived in the community even as innocent. Now imagine if she interacted walking from from place to place, let's just say that there was an interaction between the Israelite woman who had been freed from this guilty accusation and a Babylonian woman. What do you think that conversation would be as far as the Babylonian woman who maybe some of her friends had been thrown into a river because they had they had jealous husbands, and now she meets an Israelite woman, and the Israelite woman says, this is the way that my God operates, and this is the way that our society and our culture operates because this is the beauty of the law that he's given me. Imagine the beautiful con- the conversation that would happen between a Babylonian woman who doesn't have dignity, who doesn't have the value in her culture, and then an Israelite right. woman. It just kind of shows right. you right. really h- how beautiful it could be. It really brings to mind you know, God's covenant with Abraham. You are
0: blessed to be a blessing. And, and what Isaiah says later, like a light to the nations. Yeah. That's what we are called to be as God's people. And here is the light shining of a of a world... And, and a culture and a society that is full of peace and full of love and has mercy and patience and kindness and thinking about others um, and, and, and is good to people and all of those things. is true. And so I think that's a huge piece to end on, just the, using our, our imaginations or even prophetic imaginations, if you will, to think uh, this is the world that God is shaping even now and it, the law is part of that shaping of it to say mm-hmm. look at a beautiful and good world um, as Jesus said in Revelation 21 behold I am making all things new and really bringing us back to this, this the, to, the, to the beauty of the Garden of Eden and yet even better in a garden city one day right? The already we're not, that, not yet there but we're, it's already inaugurated and the kingdom's already here in Jesus and we see that all the way back into the law and the story of God Fellas, thanks so much for talking and yeah. for just sharing. These are really heavy and important topics. Um, and uh, we just appreciate you guys being here. And I hope you enjoyed it, all you out out there in listener land. Um, we will see you next time talking about some implications for the of Leviticus, modern day implications. Uh, we'll see you then. Snoop. Peace. Yeah.